Welcome to the World Football Summit podcast, the show for football industry leaders who want to stay ahead of the game. We bring you the latest insights, trends, and stories from the experts driving innovation and progress in sports business worldwide. Join us as we dive deep into the ideas and initiatives transforming the world of football. From sustainability and innovation to player development, fan engagement, and everything in between. Our goal is to unite the global football industry and drive positive change and progress. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the World Football Summit podcast. I'm your host, Jaime, CMO at World Football Summit. Today, we welcome Dr. Vicky G. Ross, another remarkable female leader in football to the show. Dr. Ross is the president of UNAFUT, the organism that manages the first division in Costa Rica. And to my knowledge, at the time of this recording, she's the only woman leading a top-tier men's football league in the world, which is why she was just a unique profile to have on the show. But Dr. Ross is much more than that. She's a fellow at the Central America Leadership Initiative, previous board member and president of several nonprofit organizations. She has worked in media and broadcasting. I mean, you're just in for a treat with Dr. Ross. She and I discussed her role at Unafoot, including her business priorities, how she positioned the brand, the challenges she had had to overcome, and of course, the opportunities that lie ahead. We also have an in-depth discussion about female leadership in football, full of advice for those women looking to develop their career in the industry. Before jumping into it, though, remember, you can also subscribe to our newsletter, where we share trends, dynamics, analysis, and everything that goes on at our events. You can find the link in the show notes. And now, enjoy this conversation with Dr. Vicky Ross. Well, Dr. Ross, this is uh, an honor and a pleasure to invite you to the World Football Summit podcast. I think we're going to have a, an enlightening conversation today, and I think the audience is in for a treat. So, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an honor for me to join you today. Thank you for the invitation. So before we going into it, um, I was just wondering, could you please introduce yourself uh, to the audience? And I always like to ask my guest, um, why is it that you do what you do? I'm Dr. Vicky Ross. I'm a political scientist and a journalist. And professionally, I've been involved in many areas in, in media, in politics, and now in the industry of football. Uh, I've been passionate about my entire life. I, I played uh, for 19 years. Wow. And um, now I, I also worked in cancer, in a cancer fighting NGO for, for over 20 years. I'm still involved with that. But now professionally, I dedicate most of my time to, to football, which is an amazing opportunity. For those who don't know, um, Dr. Ross is the president of UNAFUT, which is the an organism that manages the top-tier league in, in Costa Rica. And to my knowledge, um, I think you're the only woman in the world that's actually leading a men's football competition. So, wow, uh, congratulations on that. Um, I was wondering, Dr. Ross, I mean, you said you played 19 years as a, as a you know, as a football player. Um, where did that love of the game come from? And, and what did it teach you? Uh, how did that prepare you to the role uh, you're in today? 
Now, I always say that I, I'm very privileged that I was born in a in a very peculiar family, in a large family, uh, who all played and participated in sports. My my mom and her brothers and sisters were uh, they played sports. They played football. They played basketball. They played volleyball at a very high level. And uh, I had I grew up with eight cousins of my same age. Um, and that allowed for for uh, sports to be on on the agenda all the time for us. Um, also, um, a family that didn't distinguish traditional gender roles, and I think that uh, afforded me the opportunity to to grow up thinking that nothing was impossible. Playing with boys, or whether it be playing with boys or um, doing any type of of job. That I dreamt that I that I, that I wanted to do, and um, uh, I understood later in life that that was a privilege. But I think uh, that was an advantage for me to grow to grow up in that position. And uh, uh, I played not only football; I played volleyball in Division One in Costa Rica, and I also have competed in several other sports: tennis, golf, and now I'm very passionate about paddle as well. You're all over the place. You're going to have to tell me a secret on, on how you do well in all of them. Because, I mean, I was just lucky to play basketball and that was it for me, really. <laughs> Interesting. So, Dr. Ross, you're leading uh, what makes the competition unique in the world? I, I think there are several uh, special ingredients of the competition in, in Costa Rica. First of all, um, our competition developed really early on. Uh, Unafut, as a, as a professional league, has 24 years, but we have clubs that that have been in competition for 117 years, which is actually uh, older than than FIFA, for example. And we have a lot of clubs that are over the 100-year mark, and that means there's a lot of tradition involved in in our competition. And that's that also poses some of the challenges in in changing the culture of football. But it's also it also may, makes makes uh, extraordinary that it was the one place in the world that managed to break the, the glass ceiling for a woman leading the, the competition as well. There's a lot of uh, tradition. It's really embedded in our, in our culture. Uh, everywhere you go, you see children, both uh, boys and girls, playing soccer in the streets and every part of, of our country, and that makes it very, very powerful. Indeed. Well, 117 years. That's amazing. Um, I didn't know that. And actually, I mean, I'm thinking... Um, you know, Costa Rica as a, as a, a national team has had, you know, uh, success over the years in recent times and, and they've managed to do interesting feats and I think that helps, right? Um, but it also helps to have a top-tier league that's actually competitive and, and the kids can follow regularly there. So, so yeah. And, and Dr. Ross, in terms, of, uh, I mean, in terms of business, what are your priorities for, for the league? Um, actually, consolidate the... Prof professionalization of the league and that um, involves a, a lot of aspects making every every aspect of, of our league not only a competition but our affiliate clubs um, as professional as possible and we have done a great job with our allies for example the La Liga from Spain and the people from the World Leagues Forum has been a, a, a great space for us to grow and benchmark um, this process of re-engineering our league and picturing what we need to go forward. 
And one of one of the key aspects of that is understanding where football lives in society, not only business and sports-wise, but also um, in the social aspect. The center of my strategy is called the triple impact strategy, and it's based on social, it's based on sports, and it's based on uh, the commercial aspect as well. So it's understanding in the integral aspect of football and how it exists in society. That's that's a very, very nice framework. Um... To be honest, um, you know, commercial, social, and, and sport. And I think, and I agree, I think um, football has that power to change the world. And that's something that we truly believe in World Football Summit. And, and we kind of give, try to give um, people that are actually making a positive change in society through football, uh, that kind of visibility, because we just um, believe in it so much, right? Um, and you've actually even been able to uh, grow revenue um, by two or multiply revenue, if you will. What have been the key success factors there? It was very interesting, a very interesting process It um, because it involved doing several steps at the same time. Uh, one of them was uh, reconsolidating our brand, uh, relaunching our brand to the public, and also working on reputational issues. Uh, which is kind of also uh, having to work on, on, on a lot of that history, right? A lot of that history in, in our culture and our society and um, repositioning it in, in the eyes of the public, but also in the, in the eyes of the advertisers. And I think in the short run, in, in a year and a half that I've been sitting in, in this chair, we were able to spin it off into a much more recognizable brand, bring all reputational aspects of the brand higher. And that itself uh, led to advertisers, uh, new advertisers coming to us. And one of the aspects that I wanted to change was uh, certain vulnerabilities of the st uh, structure of, of our income. And with the new, new income and new revenue streams that we were able to get with this, with this strategy, we were able to do it in less than a year, so it's been a it's been a wonderful year for us. As you as you mentioned, we doubled our income from sponsorships, and we're looking to to maintain that growth of, over the coming years. Yeah, that's thank you for that answer because I'm thinking how important it is to have a powerful brand, you know, to to have a good legacy. At the end of the day, the sponsors and the advertisers want to associate themselves with, uh, you know, those organizations that that you know they can trust at the end of the day and it's brand and it's reputation that are going to help build that trust right um so so yeah very interesting and talking about the reposition of of the brand i guess you already talked about the why because obviously that was going to help the business grow how did you do that i mean i don't know what what can you share what steps you took if there was any resistance anything that you can share that the audience can learn from i i think it's as part of the history the the league is probably one of the most recent things in our football horizon in Costa Rica. We're 24 years old. Um, there were many things that, that were misunderstood by the public, that they didn't know what the limit of what we did was uh, in regards, for example, with our relation with the FA, what, what does the FA uh, has, have to do with our competition and where uh, where we come together, what do they do, what do we do, and 
what what are the clubs responsible for, for example, and being able to uh, create a strategy around communication, uh, strengthening our our points, our positions, um, trying to make our message coherent, building a product that made sense to people and was and has to be every day more uh, more appealing to watch. Right. And something that you believe in, that the data in sports is very powerful. If you read the, the Nielsen sports report, 80% of the people believe in brands that associate with sport. But for that, sport has to be believable itself. Right. And so how do we protect protect our reputation, the reputation of our, our clubs, the reputation of our competition? It's been a multi-layer strategy that we've been able to roll out. And that also associated with a, a lot of things related to, to very visual brand building, repositioning our local um, iconography and a lot of things that we, we've been doing through this year. And fortunately, they've been highly effective. Yeah, but I would assume that's kind of like the icing on the cake, no? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, the visual element, what, what I liked about your answer is you were focusing on um, reputation. Again, that's the word again. And it's not only for sponsors, but also for fans. I think at the end of the day, um, fans also want to have a, an organization they can trust and has a powerful brand and that's making a difference, right? So that's going to help them become more associated and, uh, and follow the league. So, And it's very interesting because today we have uh, very immediate challenges as, as a league of a country. Our consumers can see the product of other leagues and other very important leagues immediately. They uh, turn on their televisions, they switch on um, channels or streaming services, and they have the best leagues in sight. So how do we um, create a product that assimilates uh, the quality of, of that product that they're, they have very readily available every day more and they're not disappointed to see a, a, quali a lower quality product and that that requires a lot of culture change as well yeah which is very difficult i mean it's easier said than done obviously right yeah and you also talked about the, um, you know, the professionalization of, of football there in costa rica no um how can you make um costa rica or football in costa rica let's say uh, more professional from a business perspective? I think that that requires um, a lot of change in the structures of our affiliate clubs, uh, of the other leagues as well, and also the FA. Right now, we're in the middle of a change in government in our FA that's headed in that direction. Also, the, the decision that the presidents of the first division or Premier League took by bringing me here, uh, it's an historic decision. I'm going to tell you an anecdote related to that because I think um, it, 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 you know, it's very relevant to what we're saying. It is the first time in over a hundred years of organized football in Costa Rica that they did a human resources process to to bring the president of the football league, and they hired an outside agency. They they did a profile, they hired headhunters, and that's why I'm here today. But that's uh, that speaks about the desire and the vision that a lot of the people have in football in Costa Rica today and where we want to take it. 
And I think um, it's a process that's not easy. It's, we're also fighting, uh, I told you, against institutions that are very old, that have their uh, ways set in how they like to do things. Um, but I think the process can be accelerated with, with simple things, uh, hiring better human resources, uh, adopting technologies that are appropriate to to better better management, and that will take us far in a short time. And uh, thank you for that answer, and I really like that story because if you want to start professionalizing something, you really need to start from the top, and the process has to start from within. In this case, the, you know, they decided to hire and make the process a more formal process, and, and that's just a signal. And, you know, for change. And and I think it was a very bold first step, but uh, I'm sure they, given your results and the impact you've created, um, I'm sure they're thankful they did take that step, no? Some, sometimes those processes, uh, change is hard on, on institutions and on people as well. One of the first diagnosis, diagnostics that we had here in, in our league was that over 60% of the people um, lacked the complete set of skills to be in the position that they were occupying. So we set out to do human resources programming and also to hire uh, the best people that we could for for the positions and for the new structure of our league. And today, a year and a half later, 100% of our, of our workers have the skill sets necessary to be doing the jobs that, they're, that we require them to do. So that change in, in, in it of itself creates uh, a difference in quality and a difference in, in the professional aspect that is, you know, very quantifiable and very visible as well. Yeah, and what I appreciate about that is change management is just so hard, even if it's obvious. Um, I think um, it was, quote-unquote, obvious that, you know, the league needed more talent, needed to develop its talent, needed to make things more formal, more professional. But, you know, these things, they always... Uh, take their time. Um, there's a lot of resistance and, and that's just, I guess, human nature, unfortunately, right? And, and we're going to speak about that a little bit later on as well. Um, but before we do, um, looking into the future, what are the biggest opportunities that you see for, for the league? I think we have a, a great opportunity with our youth leagues. Um, Costa Rica has great quality of players and we have a, a, a big challenge ahead in repositioning how our players face the international market and that also feeds our you know the influx of of cash into our competition on our clubs and has a direct effect but we have we have a large number of players that can be better marketed outside that can have better destinations in and better leagues you know we have uh, our biggest uh player name in in football that's Keylor Navas Keylor Navas is a, a, an outstanding goalkeeper. But today, I can tell you that we have between 12 and 15 goalkeepers between 18 and 23 that have amazing qualities. And, you know, also, they're taller than than Kaler and they have had a, a preparation much more um, based in science and opportunity than, than Kaler had. So uh, we could be having a greater impact impact with our youth leagues that are creating great players and being able to project them better in our in the international market. 
it, it seems to me you have a positive momentum going. And and what I mean by that is, obviously, you had someone like Kaylor Navas, who's an absolute legend of the game. Um, and he sets the example for kids there. Then technology uh, starts to develop. And then, um, obviously, the success and the uh, easier access that kids have to play football grows the base, which is actually the key to grow in football. And, and it seems to me you have that positive momentum and hopefully we'll keep on seeing um, you know, Costa Rica make greater progress in World Cups and international tournaments. And then obviously that will trickle down to the league and, and making it a, a more competitive league. You know? So yeah, it's, it's just a flywheel, I guess, if you will. What about challenges? What, what are the main challenges that you see? Um, they have to do with, with the resistance to change, I think, mostly. But I think... I, and I hope that most of that will dissipate as the results start coming in. And for example, the result that we have, the economic result that we have over the over the last year was spectacular. We had a, an amazing year uh, from the financial standpoint and competition-wise as well. We had the best tournament in... Um, it, regarding ticket sales and people going to the stadiums, our last tournament, Clausura 23, in recorded history, that was that was our best tournament. And also uh, the results in sponsorships uh, that we had and that we also generated momentum for our club. So I hope, I'm hoping that the rest of the change uh, is received with, with less resistance as the, the results keep showing up. That... that was what I was about to say. I mean, at the end of the day, results speaks for themselves and you have yours to back it up. I mean, grow, growth in revenues, growth in support from sponsors, probably you're getting their qualitative, uh, you know, uh, feedback as well. Um, so yeah, I, I really do hope that you're um, able to overcome that resistance uh, because I think the league deserves it, no? Um, and Dr. Ross, is there a league that, you look up to or that you're using as a benchmark and uh, you know in the way on of, of how to do things i i always keep a close book on the european leagues i think uh in terms of the the structure development they're really far ahead the spanish league the german league the english league are also always reference points for us when we're looking to do some change we're, we're also uh, keeping our eye on leagues that are close by that that are making interesting advancements, like the MLS, for example, that is growing exponentially in terms of sponsorship, of the way they're projecting their communication, the way they're trying to grow their audience, both domestic and international. And we're, we're building and keeping alliances with leagues that are also close by that, that we can uh, generate mutual benefits from uh, the Mexican League, the Colombian League, and closer in Central America, the, the Honduran and the Panamanian League as well. Interesting. At the end of the day, you're going to have to pick up you know, a few pieces uh, from here and there and, and just build up your own product. No? So it, it makes total sense. Um, so, so yeah, thank you. And I want to shift into another topic because one of the, probably the main reason I wanted to bring you into the podcast is to talk about um, female leadership in football. Now, as you know, this is a, an initiative we actually launched a few months back in, in World Football Summit where we want to give um, leaders like yourself the visibility that they deserve because we're of the 
believe that there's a lot of talent out there um, ready to show the world how, how to actually um, develop a career in football. Um, so I want to start with um, your, your point of view on, on what needs to be true to actually see more women in leadership positions in football, um, such as yourself, that you're leading a, an international top league um, in the world. I, I'm glad I told you that anecdote earlier because it also resonates with one uh, social experiment that's been um, reproduced many in many countries, which uh, I don't know if you've heard about the uh, the um, Sinfonica of New Zealand, the Sinfonica yes. of New yes. Zealand, and the experiment they, they made by doing trials uh, and tryouts with not letting the judges know the gender of the musician playing. I think mm -hmm. that the football has been a, a very resistant industry in allowing female leadership. If you see the numbers worldwide, the number of women in, in C-level positions around the world is approximately 27%. And when you talk about boards, that, that number drops dramatically to around 16%. But the, the number of women in, in positions of, of power in football is around 9%, which is very low from, from other types of industry. And when you look closer at those numbers, um, when we're talking about men's football, that number drops to 4%. And half of those women work in positions that are related to, to marketing and sales, which means we have genderize some roles in, in football as well. And when when we see the numbers of women leading FAs, we have seven out of 214 for a 3.38%, I think. And women leading leagues is one in 209, which is 0.48%. Amazing. And so when, when we're looking to open doors, we also should be holding the organizations accountable for hiring processes that eliminate um, the bias that exists because it's undeniable that it, it is there. And also putting um, safeguards in, in workspaces for women to remain. I, one, of, one of the numbers uh, that, that is in my head is also the, the, the amount of women that, that, for example, work in STEM careers uh, and the fallout of women in STEM careers is almost 50% in the fir first five years. Uh, the number is hasn't been studied for football, but I can imagine uh, the fallout of, of women in, in football must be high as well because the environment is highly genderized. And that, that means that we have to uh, safeguard, put safeguards in place also for, for women to, to be able to, to develop themselves professionally in an adequate and safe fashion in, in football as well. I agree. And, and that's actually a point that was uh, strongly made uh, during some panels at uh, World Football Summit Africa last year. Um, it's not just a matter of enabling women to enter leadership positions. It's actually a matter of empowering them, giving them freedom to actually grow, to learn, um, even to make mistakes and, and learn from them, right? And, and just make... Um, decisions that are actually going to change the business. Um, so, so couldn't agree more on that. And, um, and to what you said before, I think it actually starts with, uh, 
starts from within, from making the process uh, more professional and, and more welcoming to, to anybody who really wants to join the industry. You know? And I guess related to that, what I noticed, and, and it's something that's also been spoken at, at different World of Football Summit panels, is there are a lot of women that are kind of resistant to take risks or to even embrace failure. Um, because they feel that any little or small mistake can actually have a permanent impact on their career, right? Um, first, I want to understand, do you agree with that? If not, um, why, why is that? Why do women have such strong fear of failure or taking risk? I think it's because we're judged harsher than, than men and I think also that their forgiveness is something more easily afforded to men leaders than to women leaders. And um, I, I, I have been in politics as well, and you see that very commonly in politics. So a woman leader in politics that makes a mistake is judged, not, not only judged more harshly, but afforded less possibilities uh, to advance or move on in her career in the future. Um, and I think it's probably the same in football. And also, uh, I think the way we are socialized to deal with with a lot of things that that we face in football, and that's not only criticism, that's that's um, violence as well. Um, I, I I think we haven't been socialized to to deal with it in the same way that that men have. And that's one of the things that I always keep in mind to, to see my male colleagues, for example, when uh, they're receiving um, some sort of uh, violence from, from media or from fans or something, how are they dealing with it? And to try, try to learn from that as well. Um, yeah, it kind of reminds me of a uh, conversation I had with Erika Montemor-Ferreira from FIFA. One of the things he said is that there's pressure for women to be a finished product, meaning that they have to get there and they have to be ready to lead and make uh, decisions and never make a mistake. And they don't give themselves the chance to what we were mentioning before, to actually learn and to grow. Um, and, and part of leadership is, is just making mistakes. You're not going to get it at, you know, all, all the time, right? No. Um, and, and I guess um, a follow-up question to that is, what common patterns are you seeing in the best female leaders that you know? Resilience, um, a, a capacity to dissociate from what's personal and what's not. I, I think uh, that's essential in, in football, that we are so highly exposed, right? To know that what, what are personal attacks and what, what is not personal. And also to, to keep your eye on what's important work-wise and and also for yourself uh you know it, this is such a public environment and pro probably compared to politics or media that i've been involved in both for so many years it's it's the level of intensity that you're exposed is much is much higher uh and and that requires for you to be able to to keep your your head together and to do your to your do your job um, besides all the noise surrounding. Mm -hmm. Those are great pieces of uh, advice, um, not only for female leaders, really for anyone listening. I think so. So thank you for that. And but 
specifically, um, talking about advice, is there any particular advice you would give to uh, aspiring female leaders of the football industry? Uh, one that it, it is in two ways. First of all, look for look for other women that can um, help you along the way. And I have to say, not only women, I have had the, the fortune to have also uh, some um, some male colleagues that have been very helpful in get, guiding me in specific situations and also to open the door to, to other women in football. I think that uh, that's, a, that's a favor we do not only to women, but to football itself. Mm-hmm. When we see the results of, of more plural representation in industry, they're higher performing, they're, they generate higher revenue. If we were able to do that just by allowing other people in other women in, in football as well, we're doing a service to football as well. Definitely. And and again, going back to the conversation I had with Erica, we were talking about the value of mentors and sponsors, which is not yes. the same thing. Um, and, and you need both. And and she was also mentioning that she had exactly uh, women and men who were mentors and sponsors at the end of the day who helped her, you know, uh, get to where she was. Um, so, you know, couldn't agree more. Um and in your particular experience, Dr. Ross, I mean, as we said at the beginning, um, you have a unique position in the football industry. So what does it feel like being uh, the only woman leading a men's football competition? And I don't know, what, what lessons can others learn from your example? It's a, it's a lot of responsibility. Um, and there's a lot of pressure and a lot of backlash. I think uh, in our previous conversation, I, I talked to you about uh, what Malcolm Gladwell and his piece on what happens when when these things are broken, when the glass ceiling or when um, something symbolic is broken, like having a female leader in in, in a f- male football league, there's always a backlash and there's always what he called a, a rip current. And being able to deal with that, uh, manage it, and plowing on through. I think that's that's part of part of the process that 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 has been for me. Well, you've least. been resilient at the end of the day, which is what you were mentioning before. You're a true example of resilience and and really fighting against that um, change management and and the way and the way that things have always been done, right? Um, which is just remarkable. I'm telling you, I have ten nieces, ten okay. nieces, and I hope. Uh, I, a lot of my friends from female friends that are leaders from my generation, a bit older, they're the first to be the president of the chamber of first woman to be president of the chamber of commerce, first woman to be something in our country. And I hope, for the sake of my nieces and the future generations, that we're we're the last generation of first. Oh yeah, that. Well, that's a good one. Being the last generation of first, hopefully that's, you know, um, that's not a, something that we won't see uh, for a long, right? So hopefully that happens soon. That's uh, what I meant to say. Um, and I'm also curious, Dr. Ross, because you've had, um, you've said it throughout the conversation, experiences as uh, outside of the industry. Um, you know, you've been a journalist, you've been into politics, uh, you know, you've been all over the place. And, and I'm genuinely curious about um, those type of profiles because I think those experiences actually help bring a lot to the table. And in your case, I want to understand how did those roles prepare for your 
current role at Unafood as, as president? Everything has helped. I tell you, the, the communication part has been essential, but also the, the part of politics and understanding the place of power, understanding negotiation, understanding um, how uh, society works, which is something that I learned through working at a cancer fighting NGO and how, uh, where the interests lie and how to best take it, the, the best advantage uh, for our situation and also uh, being able to leverage certain things um, in regards to to our strategy and how we we're pro projecting our work has have been essential. I think uh, uh, I, I I I also have taught university in in uh, a couple of universities here. And I have been a speaker for things like public health. I was invited for to speak at the American Public Health Association Summit uh, last October. And Dr. Amy Hagopian, which I I care for a lot, was introducing me and she was reading my bio and she said, you've been all over the place, you're all over the place. But I think uh, that everything, all, all of your experiences have to sum up. Have to have to be coherent some way in in the end, and I think um, that that this road that has been very rich and very varied in in all of its nature helps me to be a, a better leader today in the position that I'm that that I'm in. And I'm of the firm belief that um, at the end of the day, at the end of the road, all the dots will connect. And I think that's what you're alluding to, uh, to here, right? At the end of the day, there's no, even the worst experience uh, can teach you something and it can bring something of value. And and you never know. I, I had uh, experience in, in cosmetics. I had experience in, in fitness uh, businesses as well. And there's always something here and there that you can pick up and, and help you, you know, in, in your current role. Um, so yeah, for those that are actually looking to enter the industry, I mean, get the most value that you can from your current role. Um, cause you never know what's, what's going to happen. Um, and Dr. Ross, in what is the moment out of your varied career <laughs> that you're most proud of? I think, um, uh, breaking that glass ceiling at on a foot definitely is one of the most important highlights in my career and one of the greatest challenges as well. I have, I have to tell you that I was both excited and nervous to face the challenge because of the historical value as well, right? Um, as far as I know, and we've we've done our research as well, this hasn't happened anywhere in the world before. So it 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 also marks uh, a change, not only in Costa Rica, but in, in the world. And that carries along with it great responsibility. But I think um, I have had, I've put my heart and my mind into it and this, the results of a year after a year and a half have been convincing enough. I um, I hope that this opens the door and reduces the the riptide that the Gladwell called, so that more women are uh, looked upon to fill important leadership roles in football in the world. Um, and I have to say, also, I'm I'm very proud of the work that that. I have done in, in cancer. We changed the landscape mm -hmm. of cancer in Costa Rica in, in 20 years. Um, 
and my work in politics as well. I was the ninth woman in my party to run for for vice president. And I think um, my vocation for, for public service, which is something that I also share with some people in my in my family, um, is, is very strong. So as long as I can um, project my work in that sense, and I think in Unafut, incorporating the social impact aspect as, as well into the strategy is part of, of fulfilling that vocation as well. And also, uh, projecting my vision of, of the world and what, what we need to do to, to be a better society and how we play a role in it. Well, thank you for that. And, and if you enable me, um, there's one word that I would use to summarize what you just told me, which is legacy. I think at the end of the day, you're looking to leave a legacy beyond uh, your current role. You're looking to change football beyond uh, just football. You're looking to do more than that. Your work, obviously, with cancer speaks for itself. Your work in politics speaks for itself. I mean, it's long-lasting legacy that you're looking to leave behind, and I truly appreciate that. If I were to ask you that question, um, would you be able to define your career in one, two words? Hard work. Okay, it's a good one. Good, 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 good one. And if I may, um, Dr. Ross, um, please feel free to answer this question or not, um, but if I were to ask you, about the football industry that you want or the football industry that you need? Is there an answer you would be able to give in, in a, a very brief answer in one, two sentences? I don't know if I can do it in two sentences, but definitely we need uh, a competition that reflects the best part of our humanity and, and that is able to generate um, cycles of, of goodness and and that is goes beyond just generate generating wealth, but generating well being. Thank you for that. Uh, again, goes back to what we were mentioning at the beginning. You know, the power of football to actually create a better world. Um, Dr. Ross, this has been a very inspiring conversation, at least for me. And I'm pretty sure that uh, anybody listening, not just uh, aspiring female leaders, are going to get a lot of value out of it. Before we, you know, wrap things up, um, one of the things that stood out to me during our offline conversation preparing for this episode um, was you have a very interesting um, taste for books. Um, I think from the looks of it, you must read a ton of books. So I was wondering if you would recommend any book to the football industry. Yes. What I think one of the, I and I keep, Bringing this book up in conversations, uh, I actually read a lot, um, but this book, I think, marked me. It's called um, Blind Spot, The Bad Biases of Good People. And I can't remember the authors right now, but it deals, uh, uh, the subject is how we all have unconscious biases and how to confront our unconscious biases. And I think in the football industry, for all the things that we've talked about, it's essential to understand that there are unconscious biases that are not necessarily reproduced by bad people, but the way, but because of the way that we have been socialized and that we have to face in order to have a, a more profound transformation of the industry and its dynamics into looking into the future. Well, that was an awesome book recommendation, I must say, and why you 
believe that's the book that the football industry needs. Um, I'm definitely going to include that in, in the show notes um, and hopefully people pick it up and read and, and learn. Even if they learn one or two things, I think that should be a, a good way to start, right? Um, Dr. Ross, thank you so much. Um, I don't know if there's any last words that you want to share with the audience. I don't know if you want to, uh, you know, where, where can they learn more from you? Anything you want to share? Thank you so much. It's been a great conversation and hopefully uh, somebody might feel um, interested in, in becoming a, a leader in football as well and a leader for change through it. Um, if, if you want to learn more about me, I have my LinkedIn page and I have my bio also on, on the page at unafut, unafut.com. Uh, so thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ross. I hope you have a wonderful day and I hope the audience really uh, learns a lot from, from your um, conversation, which has been uh, truly inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. And there you have Dr. Vicky Ross, president of UNAFUT. That, at least for me, was another inspiring conversation with a remarkable female leader in football. So many takeaways from this one, but I'm going to try to sum it up. From a business perspective, I really like the three pillars that are driving Dr. Ross' strategy at UNAFUT. Sport, social, and commercial. Football has the power to change the world and being able to grow on the base of it is just wonderful. Understand the true value of a powerful brand and the reputation of a sports organization. This will drive more fans into the game and greater commercial interest. From a leadership perspective, two powerful lessons to keep in mind. First, try to get value from every professional experience you have, even if it's not in the football industry. Believe that the dots will, at some point, connect. The key traits that Dr. Ross sees in the best female leaders are resilience, understanding the difference between the personal and what's not personal. Identify what is truly important. And of course, hard work. That, as we've said before in this podcast, is non-negotiable. Did anything else stand out to you? Let us know on social media. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the podcast on your platform of choice and share it with your industry colleagues. Remember, you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can find the link in the show notes. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the World Football Summit Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and learned a ton of things just like I did. Have a great rest of your day and we hope to see you next time.